Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast in a great day in Texans history. Robert, along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani, in our first show of the D'Amico Ryan's Texans era. You got to get pumped, people. And if you're new to the show, welcome to the party. 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering sports in the age. And Sean, you just watched the D'Amico press conference. You're out at NRG. You saw it in person. Did he get his first win? Did he win the press conference? Yes, he did. Absolutely, man. It was, uh, it really was a, a great homecoming, man. Introductory press conference, the Texans public relations staff, they knocked it out of the park. Um, you know, I actually took a phone call with Brandon Scott earlier today. He called me and was like, hey, and he never calls. I, I really don't think his phone works half of the time. He always wants to text, but he called me and I was like, wow, this must be important. And he was like, hey, Today's going to be a little bit different. And he really wouldn't tell me why, but he was just like, make sure, you know, you're on your game. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) So I walk in and we're in the team auditorium and they've got a section of just media kind of, you know, taped off with little signage. Then they have D'Amico's family, which took up about four rows. Um, And then they had former Texan players, legends, and current players, and all of this stuff roped off. And I'm like, holy smokes. I'm like, who's going to be here? And, you know, I got there about 30 minutes early. So I got to see everybody just kind of walk in and trickle in. I mean, it was a who's who affair uh, today. Uh, The the outshowing of support uh, that D'Amico had was incredible. And he even made mention of it during this press conference. He was just almost blown away by the amount of former players, which there was a lot of current players that actually showed up for this as well, both on the offense, defense, Jonathan Weeks, who played with and now will play for D'Amico Ryans, was in attendance. That was very cool. He got a chance to take two photos up there with the current and former players. But it was uh, it, it was a really surreal moment, you could tell, for D'Amico. But a guy who needed like every new head coach for any team really needs to do, Robert, you need to try to win the press conference. You know, that's that's your introduction into this to the city again and and really to the football world once more in, in your new position. He needed to win that. And he not only met expectations, in my opinion, but he exceeded expectations. He's so thoughtful, so deliberate in the message that he wants to get across. And that's that along with obvious authenticity and just being who he was as a player, which is how I knew him best. His rookie year was my first year working in sports radio. So I kind of felt like, you know, I grew up in my own way and in, in, in covering sports. And obviously he grew up and flourished in what he was doing, a, a two-time Pro Bowl, a hell of a middle linebacker for the Texans and Philadelphia Eagles. So um, I, I thought he knocked it out of the park today. Yeah, let's get to the reaction from some of the ex-players. And before I do that, just a reminder to support us. The best way you can do it is subscribe and comment on YouTube. You can listen on the run by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. And, you know, Sean, at the press conference, you know, Andre Johnson, Brian Cushing, Jonathan Joseph, Chester Pitts, Glover Quinn, Whitney Merciless. You mentioned John Weeks and Cushing said D'Amico was like a defensive coordinator on the field when he played with them. And Jonathan Joseph was asked if he'd be willing to help coach. And he said, you can never say no to a guy like that. 
that's what you want to hear, man. Yeah, I was actually there for that question. Um, and I, that, that's, that's JJ, you know, he's, he's a true competitor. Um, and D'Amico will bring that out of you if it doesn't exist already. But I mean, for so many of those guys that played with D'Amico uh, during that era of Houston Texan football, Robert, you know, this um, maybe better than most um, it ex- it existed in a lot of those guys in that locker room on the, on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. I mean, they had some dudes, they, they fielded some really, really good teams and uh, Jonathan Joseph, along with Daniel Manning, um, when he came to Houston, I believe it was in 2009, maybe the offseason of 2008, uh, still stands to this day as, unless I'm forgetting something, which I doubt I am, probably the two biggest acquisitions, and maybe for Jonathan Joseph's case, the single most important and biggest acquisition um, in franchise history in terms of what they actually did to improve the team in the offseason still stands uh, because he made an incredible difference defensively uh, for that, for that squad for, for years really here. Um, yeah. So who knows? Like as D'Amico's trying to fill out this staff, we know he's talked to uh, at least one defensive coordinator um, and three offensive coordinators. They need to get those two positions solidified first before you start talking about positional coaches, because presumably you would want your coordinators to have a say in who's going to be a, corner coach a safety coach tight ends so on and so forth yeah and we're going to get to some of the names in just a little bit of the guys that you might think about uh or you've heard about as the offensive and defensive coordinator candidates but you know bun b and trey the truth were also at the press conference it just wasn't players it was houston royalty and and you had jj watt who said to miko quote, is one of the best teammates and leaders I've ever been around. He tweeted that out. A reporter who's covered the Eagles for years said he remembers ex-Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie calling D'Amico the classiest player during his time as owner. And Chip Kelly identified him as the player who would make the best head coach. And, Sean, what effect did his hire have in the Texans' offices? The day he was hired, Mark Vandermeer said, quote, Outside of playoff game joy, I've never seen everyone who works in this building this happy, unquote. And there was applause in the Texans' office when he walked through the building Tuesday. And, Sean, I don't know if you saw it. When he walked in for the press conference today, there was a standing ovation waiting for him. And it just wasn't Cal and Hannah. It was, they had a bunch of people out there. Yeah, however many the auditorium holds, um, it was standing room only. Uh, today and he got a, a couple of major rounds of applause on a couple of different instances today and all of the things that you're mentioning in in terms of what J.J. Watt has said about him what Jonathan Joseph said about him Brian Cushing I mean Andre Johnson I mean the list goes on forever um, D'Amico Ryans during the press conference was asked a question <clears throat> What one message did he receive since, you know, being notified that the Texans were going to make him uh, their next head coach really stood out the most? And he couldn't he couldn't name one. I figured he would go with his mom or dad or an aunt or an uncle, a grandparent or something like that. Some family member or some some former player or even a current player or a current coach that has really impacted his life or career that he would reference. But he didn't. He just said the collective message that I received 
was embodied one thing. And that was just how proud people are of me. And he said, that means the most to him. And I thought that was a really, really cool moment and a very thoughtful um, and an eye-opening moment, even for him. Maybe he hadn't even thought about something like that until that moment, until he was asked that question. And I thought it was kind of ironic too, Robert, because his job, which, you know, has been over the course of the last six years and really even beyond that, since 2000 and let's say two, since he, you know, got to Alabama and became a star there. His job was to make people around him better. His job was to make his team better. His job was to, as he said, you know, pour out his best and make everybody else better for it. And I I thought, like, he's spent his entire professional and even collegiate career, his half of his life, more than half of his life, making people proud of him. And he's made not just a team proud, not just former players, current players. He's made an entire city proud, um, once again, of, of, of him. And he was, you know, one of those beloved figures that played here in the city of Houston for, you know, six years. And we wish it could have been 12 or 13, the length of his NFL career just didn't work out that way. But he very well could have his name up in the ring of honor and those rafters here at NRG one day. And my guess, it'll probably be one day a heck of a lot sooner than later. Um, and it should be. But I, I just thought that was a very cool moment when he'd said how proud he noticed people are of him and how proud he wants to make the city once again. You make me think of the quote that really made me proud of him You know, this is what you want to hear. He said, we want to bring you guys a team that you're going to be proud of as fans. And that is something that, Sean, this whole organization has been missing for a long time. And he said, we want to truly make this a home field advantage again. And as a fan, that meant something to me. He also said, we want to build this team with guys that have the character of J.J. Watt. And it's just, those are all just heartwarming. <laughs> They're just heartwarming to me to hear that, all that stuff. You know, uh, you know what's funny is that's that's not at all different of the kind of message that the late Bob McNair had. And and really the, the idea of the type of player that he wanted here. And he was heavily criticized for it for years. Yeah. Um, you know, bringing, bringing in good quality human beings. And you know what I thought was so refreshing and maybe eye-opening and I don't know. I hope a lot of people that covered this team, that have followed this team, um, that 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 are fans of this team today, that, you know, it's, their fandom has certainly waned here in recent years, but that can recall that time in which you had some really terrific human beings that just so happened to be badass football players that wore Texan uniforms. And that's the kind of player that D'Amico Ryan says he wants to bring back into the city of Houston and put a Texan uniform on. And so I, I thought I thought that was well said. I thought it was a good memory, good pull by you. Um, and, and that's kind of what I'd thought at the time whenever he was talking about that is, you know what, this he talked about alignment. Nick, Cal did as well. They're all, you know, aligned as you typically are, you know, when when things are brand new. 
but the alignment goes a lot deeper than just the last week or so, the last few days, or even the last few hours with this press conference. That is the type of player that this organization has always wanted. And for, for the most part, Robert, I felt like has pretty much des, you know delivered on. Now it's time to go win some games. And that was mentioned a number of times tonight by D'Amico Ryans. That is the goal. That is not a goal. That is the goal, to go win games and to make the city proud. Yeah, the biggest win that the Texans had this this week and maybe in the last three years is they won D'Amico from the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos, it sounds like, were really big on getting D'Amico. And because they didn't get him, they had to go out and spend some serious draft capital on Sean Payton, which I'm glad the Texans didn't have to do that. And let me give you D'Amico's quote on the Broncos, John. He said, quote, there is no place I'd rather be than H-Town when he was asked about it. He said, it was an easy pick for me. It was a no-brainer. I wasn't shocked at all to hear that, but I did kind of expect a little bit different of an answer. Granted, you know, he's probably not going to talk business with us too much. And But what, what my mind immediately went to there is, okay, you like them enough to meet with them, okay? It has to be reciprocated. You didn't have to take that interview. He blew, you know, two or three other ones off, you know, with the other availabilities, whether it be Arizona, Indianapolis, or Carolina at the time when he was making his mind up and setting his interviews all before, by the way, he still had a game to coach against the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> so uh, that says something. But I asked the follow-up question a few moments later in regard to, hey, look, you know, you said this was a dream job. And Cal and Nick both exclaimed, you know, how excited they were just after meeting with you on a Zoom call the first time and how you made them want to just go run through the doors and go play a football game right now. It had to be reciprocated. It What solidified this as the destination that wanted that you wanted to, to, to begin your head coaching career? And I thought his response to that question was, you know, again, very thoughtful, but pretty poignant as well, because he mentioned, um, you know, in a roundabout way, the the players that are already here and the draft capital at their disposal and the ability to bring better players in to accomplish what they need to get to accomplish. And that's all things, Robert, that we've been talking about for weeks now. It's not just that he mentioned the names. He mentioned them by point, and he started rattling off what he likes about each guy, which told yes. me that he's done his homework already. And I've heard that sure. him and Casario are in communication nonstop. And uh, so, yeah, that that you're right. It's it's something that it's just another one of those things. And I'm telling you, uh, the fans are pumped up. You look at Twitter, and there's all of this joy that we haven't seen in ages. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's like it was a dark day in Houston with the weather and it was cold and it was rainy. And it was like, he brought this ray of sunshine. Sean, I want to, I got to go back to this story. I told it up on Twitter. Like to me, this is, uh, this is like, you know, I tweeted this out. um, The, the, the whole sequence of events where how he ends up back here is pretty remarkable. He said, you know, if you think about it, 
I don't think we're exactly where we are with that, this crazy chain of events. They trade him to the Eagles in 2012 for a fourth round pick. Texans fans might remember that. By the way, that turns into, and I'd forgotten about this, center Ben Jones. Jones just named to his first Pro Bowl in his 11th season within the last few days. They also swapped third round picks, which became guard Brandon Brooks for the Texans and Nick Foles for the Eagles. And as well, you have to remember that Brooks later ends up winning a Super Bowl with Foles as his quarterback. So Brooks has played in three Pro Bowls. Great trade, it turns out, by Rick Smith to get two really good offensive linemen for D'Amico, except they didn't keep either, leading to a poor Texans O-line for the last few years, which could have been a big part of the demise of the of what's been going on here the last few years. But also after two great years with Philly, D'Amico's career, this is because of the injury, is cut short because of the injury that he suffers on the Texans checkerboard grass. So if he doesn't get traded and he doesn't come back and he doesn't get hurt on the Texans checkerboard grass, Sean, it's like his career might not have ended in 2016, which is why he was available in 2017 for ex-Texans assistant Kyle Shanahan when Shanahan was immediately named head coach of the 49ers. And that, of course, is when D'Amico was hired as Shanahan's assistant. So here we are. It's a beautiful thing, man. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. And uh, it, it couldn't be more perfect. And don't think for one second that you're not the only one that that looks at it that way. You know, I, I would have loved, you know, to kind of rewind, go back about, you know, 60 minutes or almost an hour and a half ago now and have kind of run down that sequence of events that you so greatly like highlighted and asked him that question. And if that was an actual thought in his mind as he's looking at this organization and he knows everything that it's kind of, you know, been about and gone through over the course of the last three years and, um, you know, how close they were, you know, even when he was here as a player from 2006 to 2011 to just missing, you know, getting to a divisional round game or an AFC championship and, you know, just having that opportunity and taking all of those things into account and then having it come full circle where, you know what, if I couldn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish as a player, then let me try to do it as a coach. And let me do it in the place that gave me the opportunity to be the best player I could be, gave me the opportunity to begin a family, raise a family, give me my start. Um, you know, I, I have to believe that the, those are probably thoughts and there'll be opportunities to ask him about those types of things. And I, I can't wait till the next one, but I'm willing to bet that life, you know, when you're about to make a life altering decision, your past life does flash before your eyes. And you do think about all those things and how and why you have this opportunity and how you got here. Um, which I think D'Amico being the genuine, authentic thoughtful, deliberate person that he is, probably thought about. Last thing I want to mention about the press conferences, I was looking on stage at Nick Casario. He looked happy. He looked happy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. Did you tell me that earlier before we got on or somebody else said the same thing to me? Like that, you're not the only one that, that has mentioned that, I, I don't think. Um, I guess I kind of noticed it as well, but, you know, I, I wouldn't declare myself like podium critic, you know, but I do notice, you know, Casario uh, is is also a very uh, agenda, 
driven kind of person, prepared, you know, has in mind what he wants to do, what he wants to say, how he wants something to go, which is very, you know, far away from what we saw the last time Nick Casario took the podium. Uh, today, light, calm, happy, smile on his face. I mean, and why not? It was very important. Let's let let's not kid ourselves though. I mean, image image has become more important to this Houston Texans organization nowadays than it ever has before. Because their image, their likability, their trust, their respect factor has been in the negatives for the last three years. They need to do everything they possibly can to repair that. And putting on a smile, being comfortable, um, you know, answering all of the questions that the media had, which is something that happened today, which hasn't always been the case. They answered every last single solitary question the media had today, which I thought was fantastic. While we probably bored the other 120 people in attendance, you know, the current and former players that were there. But I think it's very important. So is it a little bit orchestrated? Yeah, probably so. Does it say, does it mean that they have their stuff kind of put together and they're, they're understanding now and they realize what's really important, what they need to do and to, to, to help D'Amico win this day, win this press conference? Absolutely. Well, the thing is, Casario wasn't going to be the face of this franchise because of his personality and same with Cal McNair and you don't have a quarterback and the closest thing you have to a star player is a running back in Damian Pierce who isn't ready to take on that mantle and you know you look at the Astros and you've got faces of the franchise you've got the players you've got Dusty you got people that are exuding positiveness and they're exuding happy and joy and somebody that people can gravitate towards. The Rockets desperately need that guy right now more than ever. The Texans needed it. And D'Amico walks in and delivers that. And that's a big thing. And, you know, there was an answer that D'Amico gave, and I can't remember exactly what he was talking about, but it was regarding team stuff, which is right in Casario's wheelhouse. And and Casario, you know, chimes in at the end, amen, and (laughs) smiles. And you're like, oh, there is a, he's not a robot. There is a personality there. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. You know, um, there's there was a very human side to him today uh, because it, it was a day to to let your hair down, so to speak. Not just for D'Amico, but for the Houston Texans. It, it, it needed to happen. Um, so I, I'm glad that it did. They're off to a hell of a start. And I'm not just talking about D'Amico. I'm talking about this organization. They're off to a hell of a start this offseason. They, need, they needed to nail the head coach. And I, I know leading up to today, and it'll continue to be a conversation until maybe it's proven otherwise. And the only way you do that is put more W's than L's in the win-loss column. But it's okay. It's D'Amico. He's a former player. He was really good. He's coming back. It's a feel-good story. But did you make the right hire? Absolutely. He was the best candidate on the market, not named Sean Payton. And I could, I think you could maybe even make an argument that you could very well go beyond that because, look, Peyton, there are two different sides of the ball, offense, defense, proven head coach, unproven uh, head coaching commodity in D'Amico Ryans, but obviously a leader of men checks all of the boxes that a guy like Sean Payton does when you talk about good head coaches, is a leader, is smart, is innovative, is thoughtful. 
Um, you know, all of those things, just the experience and the fact that the Texans organization, you know, was in a position to not just allow him to kind of grow into this job. They gave him a six-year contract. So that shows a lot of faith, a lot of, um, you know, I, I think trust in a guy and patience, which is also something that Bob McNair was very much known for is how loyal and patient he was with his employees. Two of the most, namely, you know, Gary Kubiak and Rick Smith, head coach and general manager, were here for a long time, eight years respectively for Kubiak. I think Rick was here for 12, 13 years um, with them. And so I think that goes a long way. And hopefully, you know, in in six months, seven months, we start to see kind of the fruits of those labor, that labor, you know, with this organization. And, you know, you get two, three, four, five years down the road, man, how many wins, how many championship games, you know, divisional games you're putting up, just the, the, the pride the city is able to take. Once again, that's what it's all about. Let's hit the offensive and defensive coordinator candidates so far yeah. real quickly, and we'll get like a few seconds on each of them, but Aaron Wilson says Bobby Slowick is the favorite for offensive coordinator. I think John McClain did as well. He's a 49ers assistant since 2017, the same as D'Amico came in with D'Amico. And he is also a commander's defensive assistant from 2011 to 2013, wide receiver at Michigan Tech. And his dad, Bob, was a longtime NFL DC. This feels like the guy that's going to get the job, John. He does. And, you know, he's a, He's a tenured, uh, you know, coach in the NFL. I think he just wrapped up his 10th season uh, in the league this past year. Um, he's got experience, you know, on both sides of the football. You know, I think started early on as a defensive assistant. Um, and, you know, now is the passing game coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers and um, has been, you know, entrusted with helping develop the wide receivers uh, under Kyle Shanahan you know, in San Francisco, um, it's, it's something that, you know, on paper makes absolute sense. Um, you know, at this stage of, you know, Bobby Slowick's career, you know, is it a fit for him? I, that's always a question. Obviously, you know, he's probably going to tell you the same thing that every, you know, former player of D'Amico, every coach, everybody that you've already heard from is going to say the same thing. Probably, you know, D'Amico's a great guy. But is the city a fit? Is the team a fit? Is the talent a fit? Is this something that he wants to dive deep into? Because you make a great argument, even for D'Amico, Robert, that, hey, you know, he's two years as a coordinator, but he literally just got done coordinating the top defense in the league. He's leaving a really good situation, and there was five openings this year in the NFL. There very well could be twice as many next year, um, to be quite honest with you. If he would have waited a little bit, would it have been worth it? Would it have been a better position? Would it have been a better uh, organization from from a, a, a would it have been a better situation from an organizational standpoint that he could have um, launched his head coaching career if, in fact, he waits one more season? I think a guy like Bobby Sloak has to ask himself those kinds of questions. But how often do you get the opportunity? You know, at what? How old is Sloak? Uh, Thirty-five years old at the age of 35 to go be an offensive coordinator with a guy that you have a previous relationship with, you worked with him, you know, how diligent, how prepared, how passionate he is about helping people and, and, and building a winner. It seems pretty perfect. If, if I'm Bobby Sloak and I'm looking at it that way, that this is a great opportunity, maybe the best one that he'll see, um, you know, at least this soon at this stage of his career. 
All right. Some of the other OC candidates that we've heard about. There's been two guys that I have on this list. Uh, offensive uh, coordinator candidate Troy Walters worked with the Bengals for the last three years. So, of course, he's coached in a Super Bowl. There are some local ties to 11 years ago. He was on the Texans Aggie staffs. So, you know, he's a college station guy, actually, because he went to high school there. Recurring theme is coaches who have Super Bowl experience. And another one is Nick Cayley, offensive coordinator candidate, who probably my least favorite of the group because it smells like a 100% Casario guy whose resume, not exactly glowing, although I know other people are interested in him. He spent the last seven years as a Patriots assistant who only rose as high as a tight ends coach during that time. And outside of the Tom Brady years, it's not like the Pats were prolific as an offense. He's also coached at John Carroll Casario's alma mater. So his name is Nick. He's a John Carroll guy like Casario. And he was w- with the Patriots when Casario was there. So those are the other two guys that I have, Sean. Who was, uh, who was the first guy that you mentioned? Troy Walters. Troy Walters. That's the one that intrigues me the most. I, I thought you were talking about Walters. Yeah, Kaylee, I, I kind of agree with you on that one. I mean, anytime somebody's going to come from a, you know, a, Nick Casario kind of background, like, oh, he knew him. <laughs> they went to the same school. He's and- the only one in this group that's got no connection to D'Amico Ryans of all the guys that we've heard mentioned for all of the positions. You know what? Maybe this is kind of, um, you know, an agreement of sorts. Like, you know, Nick's like, hey, I have a really good guy in mind. Let me see what you think of him. Who's your guy? Um, and maybe D'Amico really likes Troy Walters or maybe – uh, Nick even brought that to Miko to D'Amico's attention. He's like, "Hey, look, you know, let's talk to both of these guys and see what you think." I really like Walters because he's got more pelts on the wall. You know, just just to be honest with you, I mean, you mentioned a guy like Kaylee who hadn't ascended beyond a tight ends head coach, you know, tight ends coach rather. I'm going to pump the brakes on that even still a little bit. While you know, you can't say uh, he didn't have the pelts on the wall. There's there's guys that sometimes you know what they're just comfortable with being position coaches. That's what they want to do, and you know, for instance, I'll take me. Like I, I never wanted to be a head head football coach. You know, I never wanted to be, um, you know, an offensive or defensive coordinator per se. Like I really enjoyed working with the offensive linemen when I was coaching for the last twelve years. Yeah, no, I I I, 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 I can I can totally see that. The problem is. You're, you're interviewing for offensive coordinator jobs. So obviously there was a conversation or there was a text like, Hey, do you want to talk about an offensive coordinator job? Or there was an email or there was some conversation like this is an offensive coordinator job. If you don't want that. And that the th- thought process was that they were interviewing for that. Now, maybe, maybe they're just talking to him as a potential quarterback coach. However, I, I, again, I'm not excited about it from what he's done with the Patriots. So we'll see. That, that, that was kind of my point. You know, you never really know what they're talking to guys specifically for. However, the Texans aren't really in a position to kind of play around with this thing too much. I mean, if you're D'Amico Ryans, you want to kind of get in and talk to some real deal candidates. So I, I, I tend to believe that, you know, look, they're probably regarding Kaylee as a potential guy. They probably regard Troy Walters as a potential guy. I really like Walters because his resume, um, what he's done as offensive coordinator at University of Central Florida, um, that's one that really stands out. I mean, he took literally the nation's worst collegiate offense and in just two years' time 
completely turned it around. They were first in points. They averaged nearly 49 points per game at the uh, at the end of the 2017 season. When he came in, they weren't even averaging 14 points per game. They weren't putting up yardage. Like the leader in the nation almost doubled the amount of yards that they were putting up offensively. And he completely flipped script under Scott Frost. Give Scott Frost a lot of credit as well at UCF. But it was Troy Walters, you know, who helped lead that program and completely turn them around. And what are we talking about here, Robert? You know, a drastic turnaround type of a situation. You're going not just don't look at the three and 13. Look, taking account to the last three years, how you built this roster. And there is a number of players that make up that roster. It's trying to figure out, like, okay, who's more a part of the solution than just that of the problem right now? We need to weed these guys out and look at what this guy did in just two years' time just alone at UCF. His resume goes beyond that. I mean, look at the receivers, the talented receivers that Walters has worked with over the course of the last couple of years. This year, particularly, you know, with T. Higgins and uh, uh, Boyd, uh, who's the other, uh, Jamar Chase. Those guys' numbers are phenomenal. I actually did the, the calculations on those numbers and the production that he's been able to get out of that receiver core. Those three combined for nearly 2,900 yards, 219 catches, and 21 touchdowns. This season that's a product of what Troy Walters has brought from an offensive standpoint to the Cincinnati Bengals I just gave you some examples of what he's done at UCF this is a winner he's also a guy I think he's what is 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 he 50 see 50 51 years old something like that I can't remember I think he's got a little age to him but you know still young enough to where um you know you feel pretty good about it I mean, well you if you remember Jamico said at his press conference like I want a variety of guys, experience-wise, yes. different ideas, that sort of thing. So uh, the DC candidates, uh, Corey Unlin, who's a 49ers assistant coach the last two years, obviously D'Amico relationship right there. He was the Lions DC in 2020, an Eagles DB coach for four years, where he won a Super Bowl again, another Super Bowl guy. He coached for the Browns and Broncos from 2009 to 2014. He was a Patriots assistant. So there's a double connection here back in 2004 when they won a Super Bowl. So he's worked with D'Amico and Casario. The other guy, defensive coordinator candidate, Marquand Manuel, who's been the Jets safety coach the last two years. So he worked under Robert Saleh, who worked with D'Amico on the Niners staff. So there's the connection. He was on the Falcons Super Bowl staff in 2016 with Kyle Shanahan. So obviously, D'Amico knows him through all of those connections. He was on Pete Carroll's two Seahawks Super Bowl staffs in 2013 and 14. So a lot of a lot of good stuff from those two guys. Yeah, Troy Walters, by the way, 46. I just wanted to get that right. I knew he was kind of up there. He wasn't a young buck, uh, so to speak. Did you mention uh, Undlin? The yeah, no, that was the first one we talked about. Yeah, Undlin, who's okay. you know that you know he's got both the connection with uh, D'Amico and Casario, but obviously, you know, he's been working the last two years on the same staff with D'Amico in, in San Francisco. Yeah, you know, D'Amico was asked about calling plays, if he's going to actually do that as a defensive coordinator himself or if that's going to be a role that he ends up turning over. And he said, you know, very honestly, this is still something that we're kind of working through. You know, they're, they're thinking about it, which I kind of thought was interesting because I figured we still don't really know, Robert, how these – head coaching interviews work like the questions that we would deem pertinent that we would have to ask you know like even in a zoom interview like just basic stuff like hey so what are you thinking you're obviously a great coordinator this is why we like you, you know, you're, you're you're coordinating half of the team 
you know, a defensive staff, like, is this something that you would like to do as a head coach here as well? Is it something that you'd be comfortable turning over, you know, to a coordinator that you have in mind? Like, I, that would be like one of my first questions. And it's something they hired him despite of not knowing how they're going to, um, you know, pursue uh, this coordinator situation, at least on the defensive side of the ball. It did sound like D'Amico was very much prepared to be that guy calling plays. I, I, the interesting thing to me, though, is the, the reports are that they've interviewed these guys as defensive coordinator candidates. Now, if that's what people are reporting and that's what's going out there, then it sounds like he's still open to the idea of having a defensive coordinator. Maybe it's a defensive coordinator in name and more D'Amico is going to, but they're, they're working. You know, we always think who's in charge, but this is always, you know, he talked about it in his press conference. It's always a collaborative process. That's why I love coaching. Yeah. I mean, that's key. That's key. Right. And it kind of speaks to, you know, um, what Nick maybe didn't do so well the last couple of years. He admitted as much, right. Just a, a few weeks ago when he'd said, look, I hadn't always utilized the resources at my disposal. Well, that means you're not collaborating with the people in this building. So that's got to change. And it looked like uh, if it came from Cal and or Hannah, um, you know, I certainly had to be one of the two above him that, hey, if you're going to stay on board, we need to make sure we're utilizing everything at our disposal. And what you've done here the last couple of years, which, you know what, it's been some good things, but there's been some things that we can do a lot better. And we really like this XYZ department, you know, let's let's put them a little bit more into focus and work with them closely. And maybe D'Amico, that might have, it sounded to me in, in, in after today's press conference that that seemed to be a, a pretty big point of emphasis for him when he came in the building is something that uh, was important and pertinent to him. That was like a must. If you want to succeed, this is what you have to do. You have to talk to people and you have to collaborate. We have to work together and get the very best out of every facet of, you know, that's going on uh, in whatever department underneath uh, this roof here at NRG. All right. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be focused on the coaching, but big news. Albert Breer and others are saying the Bears love Dustin F Justin Fields, uh, the quarter their quarterback. They're not interested in drafting a quarterback and trading Fields and are absolutely from what the reports are, going to trade that number one pick. Not really a surprise, but Sean, I'll once again point out that there are six teams between pick four and 11 who are desperate, desperate for a quarterback. The Colts, Raiders, Falcons, Saints, Titans, and Panthers. How excited would this fan base, Sean, be if they'd just lost that last game and had their choice of quarterback without worrying about trading draft choices to get him. I mean, we'd be that much closer to, you know, throwing a parade already. <laughs> I, mean, I guess. Like, I mean, we've got we've got D'Amico Day here in H Town 2.0. Um I mean, just having solidified the fact that, you know, you can't you can get Bryce Young if you want him. Yeah. Get CJ Stroud if you want him. Just knowing you can get the guy you want it doesn't matter you don't need to do anything crazy you don't need to get creative you know you got that number one if you want to do something crazy and creative and cockamamie and get a little cute you got a number 12 to do that as well i'm here for that i'm all good just get me that quarterback it makes me feel a little bit better i guess that the bears like justin fields but 
it makes me feel a little bit worse because of what you just said. You know, there's a handful of other teams that really need and want or desperate. It's a good word. Desperate to get a quarterback. How desperate are they? What are they willing to give up? What price is right to make the Bears move out of that number one spot? And I'm getting from this report that, you know, like I said, the, the report is saying that it's basically a number one pick up for bids. So, you know, if that and, and I knew that would be the case because the Bears, I felt like they just didn't need a quarterback. And so, you know, you're, you're now at this point, you're at this junction where you've got to decide if I love Bryce Young, I got to be worried somebody else is going to trade up and go ahead and grab Bryce Young. And he's off the board for me at two. And now I'm not nearly as excited about my quarterback if I'm taking C.J. Stroud as I would have been if I was taking him Bryce Young. And, and that's the difference in that one win. And that's why, you know, we put up a video uh, not just the post game, but I put up a separate video saying like, this is a big deal that this happened this last game. This is a, a big deal for the future sure. of this franchise potentially. And, you know, maybe nobody takes Bryce Young. Maybe you don't have to move up. Maybe he's sitting there for you. But at this moment, I would tell you that's not likely going to be the case because Bryce Young is the unanimous by just about everybody pick for the best quarterback in this draft and everybody tells me oh but you never know what's going to happen and over the next two months and he'll have a pro day what in a pro day is cj stroud going to show you that he couldn't show on a football field with the ohio state football team one of the most talented teams in the country what is he going to show you in a pro day besides you know, putting his height and weight out there again, you know, that we already know. So that that's the problem. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, crazy things do happen. You're thinking about it logically, you know, um, a lot of times you're leading up to a draft. There are teams, there are guys leading teams, making decisions that, you know, do, as you said, you use the great word desperate, do get desperate and they do overthink things. So, I mean, it can happen, but what you have to do is if you're the Texans, like you've got to put on the table, like, all right, here's the very best offer that we can, that we can make if if we really like this guy. I know we really like this guy. I know a lot of people, most people really like Bryce Young. How well do the Texans like Bryce Young? How well is this offensive coordinator to be yet to be named going to like the idea of uh, helping develop and coach and coordinate offense around Bryce Young? I don't know. Maybe he's a CJ Stroud guy. Maybe he's an Anthony Richardson guy. Let me throw this at you. You know, we all built this coaching vacancy up specifically geared toward not not specifically geared towards any one individual any candidate rather D'Amico and we had great candidates out there it was Sean Payton it was D'Amico it was Shane Steichen it was Jonathan Gannon you know the guys but we said what's the most attractive thing about this job you said draft capital amount of money good young talent already on the roster you know to some degree right it's not great but there's some pieces here um, why would you hinder what you built this job up for just to get a guy that you got a 50-50 shot with in Bryce Young? When you have two first-round picks, can I interest you, uh, you know, drafting a Will Anderson? Can I interest you in drafting a Carter, you know, at number two, um, while maybe taking a flyer on Anthony Richardson at 12? 
or if you feel like he might fall even further than that, if you see a run on, you know, defensive ends or interior defensive linemen because of what the Texans did at number two, um, could I interest you in them trading down and getting more of a mid to late first round pick and taking a flyer on an Anthony Richardson type? I don't know. Like, there are so many scenarios, and I tried to work through them in my mind the other day, Robert, and I made my head hurt. Like, I need to write this stuff down. There are dozens and dozens of scenarios that could take place. But what you have to make sure of if you're D'Amico Ryans and the Houston Texans is get these coordinators lined up and sit in a room and you figure out, like, okay, once our staff is solidified, how can we optimize this team right now? What do we need? Do we really need quarterback at number one? Do we have to go get it? And if Nick says, you know what, if you want it, we can make it happen. If that's going to happen, then you know what, I'm all about it. As long as it's what this coaching staff absolutely feels is a must, I'm all about it. Frankly, you know, they're going to be drafting a quarterback. So, you know, it's whatever's going to happen. I think the quarterback is going to happen this year. There is no doubt in my mind, this franchise, everything that they have done, this offseason is like, we're we're listening to you fans. You guys wanted a quarterback. You guys want hope. You guys want a new coach. You guys want D'Amico Ryans. You know, you guys want a new uniform. We're going to do that. You guys want this color in the uniform. You want Cal McNair throwing up the H's every now and then and acting like he's happy to be in Houston. We got that. I mean, that's, that's what's happened this offseason, Sean. They're getting a quarterback. We know it. I'm 100% sure. I think they're getting a quarterback. I just don't know if it's going to be a number one or number two or where it's going to be. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, ask this, a similar question to what I just did you and our listeners. Let's hear from you guys. I want to keep, keep, let's keep hearing from you guys. I want to hear what the listeners think. Like, what would you do if you were the Texans at this point? How, how much would you be willing to give up if you like Bryce Young to move up one spot to get him? And 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 I think you don't have to give up a king's ransom because you're now asking the Bears, hey, you're, you're getting your first choice of whoever's on the board besides a quarterback. And if you move down any further, you don't know who you don't know if any of these guys are going to be there. But if you trade with us, you get that choice. We, we can't. We're, we're, we might not give you three picks. We might give you one pick, but that's what you're getting. You know, it's a great point. I just got done asking the question, what made the Texans coaching vacancy the most attractive job amongst the ones available in the entire league? You know, why is this more attractive than Arizona, than Carolina, than Indianapolis, than Denver? And I just thought it was because of the draft cap. I mean, I named all the reasons, draft capital, you, you know, good young players, um, salary cap money to spend on free agency this offseason. You got like the fifth most money out of the league to do so. If you're the Houston Texans, aren't you telling the Chicago Bears exactly what you just said? Like, what better situation could you be in? Like, you want this guy. Okay, you like Fields, but you really want this guy. I know you want Carter, or I know you want Anderson, or I know you want XYZ. You can only be certain to get that guy at number two, because you know what we want at number one. We want Bryce Young. You can't make that same deal at three at four, at five, so on and so forth. You can't. And so I'd look at that strongly. I'd also look a little bit historically at what teams have done when trading out of that first pick and who they're trading with. 
what they're getting in return. It's not a king's ransom a lot of the times, Robert. I mean, it's in the Texans, you know what? They have the ability to do that. They have the ability to get squeezed because they have so much at their disposal, not just this year with 11 overall picks, but they have two more number ones next year. They've got the ability to get squeezed if Nick feels so dang desperate that he offers up too much. But you've got the biggest, you know, uh, you, 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 you got the biggest argument in the game when you say, hey, we're at number two, and nobody else can say that. You are guaranteed to get who you want if you give us the number one. And for what? Maybe an extra three? You know, a, 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 a two next year and a three this year, whatever it is. Like, it, to me, it, it's it's not it's not like out of the realm of possibility where you don't have to give up. Yeah, like and, a one. and and I'm going to just say this right now, and we, there, we can have a much longer conversation about this uh, as we get closer to the draft. But I would not give up the Texans pick at number twelve. I would not give up a sec. I would not give up a second round pick, the early second round pick, the Texans second round pick for this draft. The the what I would do probably is say maybe the Browns first round pick next year uh, that you've got, or you know m- maybe something next year because next year if you've got two first round picks, right, Sean? Two of them. So if you got two first round picks next year, you can always take one of those first round picks next year and maybe trade down. And, and and add something next year, but y- you want to get this thing back rolling as quickly yeah. as possible. So let's not trade all this capital that you've got this year. Exactly. And, and let's put some of these guys together and start seeing what we've got instead of, you know, putting stuff down the road. Also um, just one bit of bad news this week, Tom Brady retires. Not that that's bad news. I'm not a big Tom Brady fan, but uh, Tom Brady retires. Sean, the, the bad news is he's getting into the Hall of Fame the same year as J.J. Watt. It takes a little shine off of J.J. Watt in five years that Tom Brady's going. You know, you wanted J.J. Watt to be like the, if you're a Texans fan, we don't get, you know, first-tier Hall of Fame guys coming out of Houston very often. And in five years, this was going to be our time to, the, the, the that weekend, it was going to be on the Texans. And now it's on the, you know, the Patriots. When I say this, I, I don't mean any disrespect by it. We already know that J.J. Watt is one of the greatest players, not just defensive players. He's one of the greatest players, period, to ever play the game. That's just it, okay? What do you mean disrespect? You just gave him a compliment. Okay. People care less about that and more about the quarterback, more about the receiver more about the great running back. It might be a really good thing for J.J. Watt to be going into the Hall of Fame the same year as Tom Brady. Nobody's going to bring more eyeballs, more attention to the weekend than the greatest quarterback to ever play, period. The most decorated, however you want to qualify it, okay? If he was the great, if you think he wasn't the greatest regular season guy, if he wasn't the greatest postseason guy or Super Bowl guy, whatever. He's got better numbers than anybody you could throw at me. Whatever. He's the GOAT. Who's going to bring more eyeballs than that? JJ's still going to get his, you know, 15, 20-minute speech, whatever it turns out to be. The weekend is going to be huge because of both of them, not just because one or the other. If JJ went in by himself, yeah, sure, it'd be cool. But 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, 
And what year did JJ go into the Hall of Fame? Who did he go in the Hall of Fame with? Or like who went in the Hall of Fame in 2023 or, or 2028, whatever it is? Tom Brady and JJ Watt. Like you're gonna remember both of those guys. You know what I mean? And so I look at it from that kind of that standpoint. I, I, but JJ Watt is a marquee guy. Sean, you sound like is. a guy that's just high on the DeBico thing, and you're trying to look everything class apple right now. <laughs> uh, no, because I've already I've already had the conversation of why it would be like a bad thing if Brady retired. Like it, it's it's not a bad thing. Like you want there to like you want to remember great classes in the hall, right? Like there's never just really one guy, right? Like when 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 Craig Biggio went in, like from our standpoint, being Houston biased, do you remember anybody else that went in? I mean, I don't. I just I focused on Biggio. But when Jeff Bagwell went in a couple of years later, the next year, in 2017, man, who did he go in with? I remember because I'm a baseball nut and, like, one of my favorite players when I was a kid was Tim Raines. Like, you went in with Tim Raines. Like, that was that dude was awesome. But here's like, the – but let me just go back to your Biggio thing for a second because Biggio went in, and the one of the cool things of that weekend is Cooperstown was flooded with Astros fans. And to watch that on television – was awesome. And when JJ Watt gets in the Hall of Fame, it's going to be flooded with Patriots fans. And, and it'll, it'll, my eyes will bleed watching that part of the JJ Watt weekend. I'm just telling you right now, because it should be, that could be and should be like the Texans fan weekend right there. It might be a marriage made in heaven. There's already a Houston, New England marriage happening here. <laughs> On the regular, right? With Nick I'm Kisari. trying to get rid of the stupid New England stuff. I'm tired of it. I just griped about the fact that we might be, you know, bringing in another New England coach. Give me a break. I, I don't need it anymore. If if it's going to make the Texans better, I don't care. Like, look, if you're excited about D'Amico, then you should be excited about what lies ahead for Nick Casario. It's just that simple. If you want D'Amico to succeed, then, you know, sooner than later then you need you need and you want nick casario to succeed so that's kind of like where i'm at like there's there's only two common denominators remaining in the funk that has been the houston Texans over the course of the last three years and it's cal mcnair and nick casario and only one of them could presumably go anywhere in the short term and that's nick because cal's not going anywhere as the chairman and ceo right now period okay so you need them to succeed Easterby's gone, Bill O'Brien's gone, and you're going to get rid of a lot of the players that, you know, bought into the, those guys. What does this have to do with J.J. Watt and Tom Brady? I don't know where you went, but I, I'm i confused. Uh, just because you brought up Nick Casario and, you know, like how you're trying to, you know, get rid of the whole New England thing. I'm just talking- No, 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 no. I, I was talking about the guy, another guy they were bringing in that was, you know, the the other Nick that they're interviewing or whatever. It's like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just saying like, if, if JJ Watt and Tom Brady going together and you're saying like, man, there's going to be this huge horde of new England Patriot fan up there in Canton. Like, okay, well, Texan fans, it's not going to deter them from going and celebrate JJ. I mean, it, it's just going to make the weekend bigger and better, you know, like, Hey, if everybody, if you think everybody's going to be waiting around for Tom Brady's speech, but JJ goes first, probably going to sit through that too, because JJ's, really good he's really entertaining he always says something meaningful and impactful it will be the better speech i can promise you that it will be the better speech i will not argue that point at all however since you brought it up tom brady retiring i thought 
I thought, you know, the video that he put out the other day, I, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. You know, um, the, the, the emotion, like all these conspiracy theories, people are just overthinking crap. They don't want to apply like human to anybody that's like a superstar, <laughs> you know, like a Tom Brady or somebody like that. But I thought it was a very human moment for a guy who's been through a bleep ton over the course of the last couple of years. And he probably didn't want to handle the retirement the way that he did a year ago. I think Schefter screwed it up and broke the story before he got to say anything. And then, uh, you know, the whole very personal divorce happened. It was very, became very public with Tom Brady and Giselle. Like, you know what? Guy goes on a stroll on the beach, thinks about things. And, you know, I'm going to get this out there and just be done with it. I know this is what I want to do. Not what I want to do in the moment, but what I want to do. And here it is. And this is the way I'm going to do it. No fancy press conference, no questions, no lights, no media. Just me, my phone, and the beach. Here it is. All right. We, we're starting to talk Tom Brady retirement. It's time to close out this show. I don't want to get into Tom Brady retirement stuff. This brought is the Miko day, Sean. This is the Miko day. I <laughs> I just brought up the fact that it was just a downer that J.J. Watt gets to go in with that guy. I don't think it is. I think it's great. I, I know you don't. I know you don't think it is, but I, I just <laughs> – I'm a Brady guy too. I like Brady. Nah, well, <laughs> no thanks. Um, anyway, yeah, he's a great quarterback. I'm not saying anything about that. I just, you know, I, I, I'm tired of him. Anyway, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll wrap it up. And and just a reminder for everybody out there who's a fan of the show, if you want to help us out, besides subscribing, you can also shoot us a note. We need some sponsors. Let us know if you're interested. Um, we want to keep doing this for a while. We need some sponsors, so. Give us a give us a shout out. You, you know how to get in touch with us. Um, the email is on the website, and you know you'll you'll find us uh, somehow. I'm sure through Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So uh, keep 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 that in mind as you move forward. Let your friends know that are looking for you know somebody to maybe uh, sponsor, maybe to to get the word out for their company, and potentially um, maybe help out some uh, people that are out supporting the Houston community with uh, our coverage of sports here. So. Anyway, we'll uh, talk to you later. We'll talk to you on Monday uh, next time. And uh, looking forward to talking about more D'Amico news, hopefully by Monday. But uh, thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks, for Sean for sticking out there at the stadium while we got this thing uh, done. And, uh, and D'Amico is your new Texas heads coach. It's nice to say. Let's go. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.